Dave Krupa is not the kind of man you'd expect to find at the center of a dangerous love triangle, but yet, there he was. In 2012, as a newly single man, Dave decided to give online dating a try and was quite popular with the ladies, oftentimes dating multiple women at once. A chance encounter between two of these women, Liz Golier and Carrie Farver, would turn Dave's world completely upside down. When Carrie abruptly breaks up with him and flees town, she begins sending Dave threatening text messages, sometimes upwards of 50 a day. But Dave wouldn't be the only one to receive messages from a scorned Carrie. Over a span of nearly five years, all the women in Dave Krupa's life would be accosted by his stalker, Crazy Carrie. But not everything is always as it seems. I'm Colby. I'm joined by my two best friends, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. So during the intro music, we were just talking about how I feel like I have been Carrie's victim already (laughs) um, because I can go into an hour and a half deposition and come out to 79 text messages in the Grim chat, in the Laura Colby chat, (laughs) in my football pool chat. And I'm like, guys, I was off the grid for an hour and a half. It's aggressive. Are they harassing though? I mean, I feel like we're mostly pretty nice. Yeah, we are. Mostly. But maybe sometimes. But I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they're harassing, but I oftentimes come out of meetings and I'm like, oh shit, what's happening? I've missed like 60 messages. I think my favorite part is watching someone catch up because it goes <laughs> yes. back. You could tell where they started and it's like, ha ha, Laura liked this. Laura replied to this. Laura, ha ha. I will say that my favorite thing about group chats and iPhone now though, is that that you can do the reactions and you can do replies. Such an yes. improvement. Such an improvement. All right, right. guys, I have got quite the case for you today, and it's going to be one where I'm going to want you to do a little bit of work. I'm not going to ask you any questions specifically, but there's a little bit of a mystery that we've got going on here, and I've laid out, or I'm going to lay out the case in a way that allows you to solve the mystery before I reveal what's happening. Is this like that Goosebumps book where you get to pick your ending? (laughs) No. There is is a single ending to our case. (laughs) Never fear. This is very much solved, so everybody will be satisfied at the end of the day. Thank you in advance. You what are I'm welcome. hearing is that there is a right answer. There is a correct <laughs> okay. answer. Yes. Okay. Do you I'm have stressed. gold stars? Oh, shoot. I forgot. I'm sorry. Wow. No, but I have a red pen, so I can always <laughs> do a strike and show it to you, and I know it will hurt you deeply to see that X. <laughs> okay. It will. Okay. Before we get into our case, we have a few Patreon shout-outs for today. Woo! We've got Ashley L. Yeah, Woo! Ashley! Yay, we Ashley. love you! We love you, Ashley! We have Essence H. Essence Yay. H! Woo! And last, we have Cassie with a K. Yay, yeah, Cassie! Cassie. We, Woo, love we love you! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you! So if you want to get in on these epic shout-outs, you guys have to subscribe <laughs> to our Patreon. And if you're on our highest tier, you'll have access to our Discord server. Um, Shout-out to Carly, Kristen, Bella, and Erica. We have lots of fun chatting Woo-hoo. with you girls all the time. It's so fun. It really is. Like sp- mm. Actually, those are some of the messages that I come out to. Yes. Like, yes. But I love it. And it feels like, like, I hope you guys feel the same way, too. I'm talking to 
like Bella and Kristen and Carly and those <laughs> girls. But I feel like we're all friends. Like it, it kind of, we always talk about how we think of this podcast as successful. If you think it, you're hanging out with us when you listen and right. now we have the discord server and you really are hanging out with yes. us and it's mm-hmm. awesome. So just, I have so much fun in that. Yes. Agree. And I think we have a few more people on there, but those are our most active ladies. Yeah. 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 Shell, step it up. You're my sister. Come on. <laughs> Be more chatty in there, girl. Well, in that case, we should also give a shout out to producer Mike because he yes. is also active in that and he drops some great memes and great comments and also great hints coming up for, you know, new episodes or upcoming episodes. And he's awesome. And yeah. also like no pressure to the people that have already subscribed to us and like don't want to chat with us in there. Like that's totally that's cool too. Funny. Like I don't we just want to let us either. We just want to like <laughs> let people know that yeah. it exists. Yes. And we're here to be friends with you yeah and you can mute it just like our (laughs) podcast you you can shut us down yes yes all right so i gotta give credit where credit's due as usual starting with my shout outs to my sources so i first learned about this case on an episode of the mile higher podcast i listened to a little while ago um but i mostly did my research from a book that i read called a tangled web by leslie rule She participated in an episode of ABC's 2020 on the case, and she had an opportunity to talk to many of the people who were involved. So I wanted to highly recommend the book if you're interested in learning more about today's case, because yes, I will actually leave details out despite (laughs) it being 20 pages. (laughs) Oh, and 20 asterisk, because it's really 23, because she says before we started... Guys, I really, I got it down to 20 pages. And we were like, oh, that's good. She goes, I widened the margins. Or I made hey, the man. margins narrower. So. Hey, man, every little bit helps. It was only 20 pages, so I tricked my brain into thinking I shortened it. And now she left facts out, but she'll say, I didn't put this in my notes, but I read this in the book, and I'm going to give you this information. I will still leave things out. Okay. There were obviously other sources that I used, but 2020 and that book were the, were the best ones. Okay. So there's a lot of different people in today's episode, and I know it can sometimes get confusing, so I'm going to try something out here. I'm going to start off by running through our characters. Okay. So first, we've got David Krupa, who goes by Dave. You met him in the intro, Mm -hmm. and he is the man at the center of our story. Next up, we have Shanna Liz Golier, who goes by Liz, Dave's on and off again girlfriend. Carrie Farver, a woman who dated Dave for two weeks, and she's the one who goes missing. And she's the crazy text message She's the crazy Carrie, yep. Maxwell Farver, who goes by Max, that's Carrie's teenage son. Nancy Ronnie, I believe is how you would say her last name, R-A-N-E-Y. She's Mm. Carrie's mother. Amy Flora, Dave's ex and baby mama. They share two kids together, but they were never married. Deputy Phillips from the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office. Detectives Ryan Avis and Jim Doty, also from the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office. And Can you say it again? Potawatomi. I love it. I'm like 99% sure I'm saying it correctly. At some point, I'm probably just going to give up and call it the Potts County Sheriff's Office because the book did that. So I feel okay. like I can do okay. that. Okay. I bet the Mile Higher podcast also called it Potts County. Oh, if they didn't, Kendall girl, you missed an opportunity yeah. right there. <laughs> I say it like she's ever going to listen to us. But anyway. <laughs> cool. Um, and last but certainly not least, Special Deputy Anthony Kava, also from the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office. I love it. So we have our Love Triangle members, their families, and then the investigators. And there's going to be a bunch of other people that come up, but these are really the main ones that we've got. Okay. In the summer of 2012... 34-year-old David Krupa found himself recently separated from his longtime partner and mother of his two children, Amy Flora. Dave moved out of the apartment he and Amy shared in Consul Bluffs, Iowa, and into an apartment in Omaha, Nebraska. Wasn't anything fancy, but it was near his job and still close enough to his kids that he was able to visit them most days. Aside from working his kids, though, Dave didn't have a whole heck of a lot going on. He was finding single life to be 
a bit boring and pretty lonely, so he decided it was time to give dating a try. He created a profile on Plenty of Fish, a popular online dating website, and it wasn't too long before he came across Liz Golier's profile. Dave was immediately drawn to Liz. She was an attractive, dark-haired, dark-eyed, slender woman with a large chest. She had perfectly straight white teeth and sexy, heavy eyelids. Dave's words, not mine. That's how people <laughs> describe me, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, all right, I, I have, you know, kind of darker eyes, dark hair, and then, it, then Get- I, that was about where the similarities <laughs> ended. You got those sleepy eyes, those bedroom eyes. But what was even best yet about Liz was that she and Dave were right around the same age, and they were both single parents to two children who were also right around the same age. Dave and Liz got to chatting, and they went on five coffee shop dates before Dave finally worked up the courage to make his first move. Before taking things any further, though, Dave made it clear to Liz that he had just gotten out of a long-term relationship, and he wasn't looking for a serious commitment. He just wanted to have some fun for a while. Can you remind me how old Dave is? 34. Thank you. So Dave basically got with Amy when he was 22. Okay. So he's he's been tied up for a while, mm-hmm. and he's a little bit bored and going stir-crazy. So he just wants to date some women and have some okay. fun. Fair. Do you, Dave? Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, I feel like he's coming to regret that, but I think so too. So Liz, when hearing that, you know, Dave wasn't looking for a serious commitment, she said that was totally fine with her because she had, she had two kids, she had her four pets and she had her house cleaning business, Liz's housekeeping. A casual relationship was really the only thing she had any time for anyway. So it was perfect. But despite this, it didn't take long for Liz to start pressing Dave for something more. If he was ever going to be in a committed relationship again, he needed it to be with someone he felt a deeper connection with. Sure, sex with Liz was great, and she was slowly helping him to get his confidence back, but he needed somebody who would challenge him intellectually, and she was definitely not that person. Dave was open that he was dating other people, and he actually encouraged Liz to do the same, but Liz usually brushed it off, and she just kind of said she was too busy to see other people, but she definitely understood Dave's position. She says that, but they, mm. she, they never mean it. Bingo. Her yeah. understanding never lasted for very long, though, and she devised a plan to try to get Dave to commit to her. Mm-hmm. She asked Dave if he would agree to dating her exclusively for four weeks. Dave initially refused her offer, again reminding her that he's just not interested in anything serious, but Liz was very persistent. I think she just truly believed they were meant to be together, so she nagged him for a while on it, and she finally beat him into submission, and he begrudgingly agreed to play along for the four weeks. That's how I got married. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how you develop a deep, loving relationship, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is by twisting people's arms into being with you. Definitely. I'm kidding. It took me a lot longer than four weeks. (laughs) Took me five years. (laughs) Took me ten. (laughs) True. One day while Dave was at work, a woman named Carrie Farver brought her Ford Explorer into the auto body shop Dave worked at for a minor repair. Carrie was a tall and slender woman with the most beautiful and friendly hazel eyes. It was like something out of a rom-com movie. As soon as their eyes met, Dave felt sparks, and he was pretty sure that Carrie could feel them too. He contemplated asking her out, but he ultimately decided that it would have been unprofessional since she was a customer. And then there was that whole little minor detail that he was still technically dating Liz for four weeks. You said it was an auto shop and they saw sparks and I just pictured somebody like welding a tire (laughs) while they were, while their eyes met and there were literal sparks flying. Just had to. Thank you. I will forever think of it that way. (laughs) Yeah. As fate would have it though, this would not be the only encounter that these two would have within the month. So Dave came across Carrie's profile on Plenty of Fish. She was single. He sent her a message saying, hi, I know you, which in my opinion is a little bit creepy, Dave. But again, (laughs) you know, you do you. It worked. Mm -hmm. Carrie did respond to him and the two had some brief but very friendly banter. 
Two weeks later, Carrie brought her explorer back to Hyatt Tire, the auto body shop, to have an issue with her window sticking addressed. Dave took a look at it for her, and once again, sparks were flying. They were really working on welding those pipes behind them. (laughs) They were both very clearly interested in each other, and this time, knowing they were both single, they actually did exchange phone numbers. Dave was nearing the end of his month-long commitment to Liz, and he was not any closer to wanting a long-term future with her. Surprise, surprise. Carrie was the first woman that Dave had met organically since his split from Amy, and he was really looking forward to taking her out and getting to know her. The pair went to Applebee's for their first date on October 29th. Oh, you fancied like Applebee's on a date night. That was Butter exactly. steak and Oreo shake and some whipped cream on the top, too. Okay, no, you don't have to sing right? the whole song. Yeah, just a little bit of it. It was fun from the moment that they first sat down. Carrie was the total package. She was incredibly smart, funny, and sexy. And the sparks that they had felt during their first two meetings weren't actually coming from somebody welding. They had not (laughs) subsided, and their date was going really well. At one point, though, Dave checked his phone, and he noticed that he had about 20 missed calls and texts from Liz in a 10-minute span. It's aggressive. It is. So if I saw that, I would think something was wrong, and Mm -hmm. so did Dave. So he Mm -hmm. excused himself from the date, and he went to call Liz. Her urgent matter, she needed to pick up some of her stuff that she had left at his house weeks earlier. Dave, much like you and I, did not deem this an emergency, and he told Liz that she would just have to come by some other time because he was out on a date. <laughs> yeah, really just pouring the salt in the wound there, Dave. You couldn't have just said you were grocery just, shopping yeah. or something. <laughs> nope, out on a date. So Dave hung up, and he went back to the table in his evening with Carrie. After dinner, Dave invited Carrie back to his place to play cards, watch TV, or whatever. And within two minutes of getting there, Liz was at the door, ringing to be let in. Dave told Carrie he had a situation with a woman he used to date, and Carrie was actually a really good sport about it, saying she understood, and she just told him to take care of whatever he needed to. Dave walked Carrie to the door, and she silently passed by Liz on her way out. Liz went inside and started arguing with Dave, but she no longer wanted to get her stuff and leave. She wanted to stay, and talk, and argue, and cry— Dave just wasn't having any of this nonsense, so he kicked Liz out. He was really bummed, though, that his evening with Carrie had been cut short, so he gave her a call and she invited him to join her at her place in Macedonia, Iowa, which was about 45-50 minutes away. Carrie's 14-year-old son was spending the night at her mother's house, so she and Dave would have the place to themselves and they'd finally be able to get some privacy. Not long after Dave arrived, things started getting a bit hot and heavy, and Carrie stopped them before it got too far because she needed to tell Dave that she wasn't looking for anything serious. (laughs) She was twice divorced, and she was not ready to get back into a committed relationship. Dave felt like he just hit the jackpot. (laughs) Carrie was perfect, and she wanted the exact same thing that Dave did. It was almost too good to be true. For the next two weeks, Dave and Carrie made it a point to see each other every day. They were busy, but they had so much fun when they were together that they just found ways to make it work. Carrie was a computer programmer, and she was working on a pretty important project with a tight timeline. She worked out of an office in Omaha that was walking distance from Dave's place. Since her home in Macedonia was over 40 minutes away, he actually offered to let Carrie stay with him until she finished up the project. So this gave them more time to spend together and more time for Carrie to get her work done. It was a big win-win situation. I was trying to figure out how they saw each other every day because I barely see my husband every day and we live together. And that doesn't sound very casual. No, No, it doesn't. No. Sounds very committed. It sounds like Dave may have been thinking about breaking his own rules for Mm -hmm. Carrie because she Mm -hmm. was just something special. The morning of November 13th seemed like a pretty average one. Dave and Carrie were up early, Dave had to be at work for 6.30, and Carrie was working on her project from Dave's couch. She took a work call at 6.15 and was wrapping up a couple things before getting ready to head into the office herself. At 6.25, Dave kissed Carrie goodbye and he walked out the door. 
She seemed to be in a good mood, and Dave was really looking forward to seeing her after work. It felt like they were kind of falling into a good routine together. Who's taking a work call at 6.15 a.m.? Must have been a release. <laughs> <laughs> All of our coworkers will appreciate that yep. one. Um, I just think she was just really dedicated to her job and mm. she didn't like to let other people down. So I think she put in extra hours and she just really wanted to go that extra mile for people. But Dave would never see Carrie again. No one would. It's hard to say for certain what exactly Carrie did after Dave left for work that morning, but actions taken on her phone and laptop offer us the ever so slightest bit of insight. At 6.42, she logged into and out of Facebook on her laptop. At 9.54, she logged back into Facebook, but from her cell phone, and she unfriended Dave Krupa. An odd action to take when you're actively staying at that person's house. Yep. Mm -hmm. Then at 10.15, Carrie texted Dave asking if they should move in together. What? (laughs) Dave was shocked because Carrie already knew that that wasn't what Dave wanted, so he just quickly texted back no, and he (laughs) immediately got back fine, fuck you, I'm seeing somebody else, don't contact me again, I hate you, go away. And that is verbatim what the text message read. Uh, This is already, I think you're on page, what, three, four? Four. This is already taken so many turns because Liz has so far been the one doing the texting, calling, showing up. Yep. And then Carrie seemed normal. I also forgot that she went missing, so I was very confused. And she just, I'm I'm perplexed by her actions. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride with <laughs> Fabio <laughs> and the pigeon. The pigeon's coming. <laughs> so, Dave was right there with you guys. Like he was at work and he was reading these text messages just like flabbergasted. He didn't understand how Carrie's demeanor had changed so mm. drastically in like a four hour span. It just didn't make any sense to him. He, he figured, you know what? He would deal with it when he got home from work. But when he got there, Carrie wasn't there. She had packed up all of her things and left without a trace. Dave was hurt and upset by their abrupt breakup, but he just tried to tell himself that the silver lining was that he just dodged a bullet. Mm, Yeah. That's true. This was only confirming that he was right not to commit to a relationship. Whatever he, whatever just happened, he felt like he dodged a crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A crazy carry. A crazy carry. (laughs) But little does Dave know just how crazy things are about to get. Is there pig's blood in this story? (laughs) No, not, oh, okay. that, not that I'm aware of, but you never know. Just, there might be some chicken bones somewhere, too, in here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Within days of their breakup, Dave began to receive hateful and nonsensical text messages from Carrie. They didn't seem like they were from the woman he was dating. Carrie was intelligent and well-read, and these messages were riddled with blatant spelling and grammatical errors. Dave was floored. What the hell happened with Carrie? Had it all been an act that she was putting on before? Dave wasn't the only one to receive aggressive texts from Carrie, though. Now Liz was getting messages, too. Carrie hadn't even flinched when she walked by Liz, leaving Dave's apartment on the night of their first date, but now she was calling Liz a fat, ugly whore. Oh. How did Carrie get her phone number? I was just going to ask the same thing. Carrie works in mysterious ways. Well, she is a programmer, so she's probably... And she was staying at Dave's. It it seems likely she could have gone through his phone or something. What year was this again? 2012. Yeah, she could have gone through his phone. She could have just gone through his phone while he was asleep. Liz was understandably very upset. She wanted to know how Carrie had gotten her number and her email address. And worse, how did Carrie know where Liz lived? Liz told Dave that somebody had broken into her home and painted the words whore from Dave on her garage wall. That same person had also stolen some old checks from Liz. Wait, they wrote whore from Dave? Mm-hmm. That's what they wrote on the like garage. Like as a signature, like whore dash from no, Dave. No, like, <laughs> like literally whore from Dave. Okay. Oh. One so- sentence. I guess that tracks with her like nonsensical, yes, in unintelligent uh, text messages too. Did Carrie stop taking her medication? Really? 
we will get there. That's an okay. interesting thought that you have, Marina. Okay. Dave had not expected to see Liz again since he had ended their relationship, quote unquote, when he began dating Carrie. But now he kind of felt obligated to see Liz again. He felt really bad for getting her involved in all of this drama. And it wasn't long before Carrie emailed both Dave and Liz gloating about the vandalism. So Carrie was taking credit for what she had done to Liz's garage. When you say Dave was seeing Liz, like seeing as in dating her or just like no, he hadn't expected to, like, see her yeah, again, because okay. I think when they broke off, it wasn't like, hey, let's be friends <laughs> yeah. casually and hang out. He knew that she couldn't really yep. handle that. So it was sort of like they parted yep. ways. But, you know, crazy Carrie, the stalker, just got to Liz and, you know, Dave just felt so much guilt for putting yeah. Liz in this terrible situation that he had to talk to her again. I thought it was another pity relationship. He's like, so sorry that you have a stalker now. I guess we'll get back together for another four weeks. <laughs> That's what I was clarifying, exactly. <laughs> you know, it kind of feels that way, honestly. Okay, so we're going to switch gears a little bit, and I want to tell you guys about what Carrie's family was experiencing at the same time. Carrie's mom, Nancy Rowney, knew Carrie better than anybody else. She normally talked to her daughter on the phone at least once a day, so Nancy thought it was weird when two days went by and all she had heard from Carrie was a puzzling text message saying she had taken a new job in Kansas and would be away for a while. Hmm. Nancy was surprised because last she and Carrie spoke, Carrie was really happy with her current job. She asked Max, Carrie's son, about it, and Max said, yeah, his mom had talked about potentially taking a job with another company in Kansas, so the two of them just figured it must have been something too good to pass up, and Carrie needed to start it right away. They assumed they would see Carrie soon enough. Her brother's wedding was coming up the following weekend, and Carrie had been gushing about how excited she was that Max was going to be an usher, which I know seems a little bit silly, but Max really was the center of Carrie's world, and they just had such a close bond because it was always just she and him. We'll get to it in a bit, but his dad wasn't really in the picture, and she just loved Max more than anything, and she was such a proud mama. But the ceremony began, and the ceremony finished, and there was no signs of Carrie. Hmm. All through the reception, Max kept waiting for his mother to show up, but again, still nothing. To make matters worse, Carrie's father was also absent from the wedding. He'd been battling an illness for some time, and he was just too weak to make it to oh, the event. So sad. The absence of the two of them loomed over the wedding like a dark cloud. Like, people mm. said it was, like, palpable. They tried to have a good time, but it just it didn't feel right without them there. Mm. Yeah, because at this point, you've got to think that something has happened to Carrie. Yes. And Max didn't understand why his mom wouldn't be there. It was really out of character for her, and he was starting to get worried because he hadn't heard from her either. A few days later, Carrie no-showed for her friend's baby shower. She wasn't just attending the baby shower. She had planned it, and she was supposed to be hosting the event. Her friend was confused and hurt. Carrie had been really excited about her pregnancy, or so she thought, and it really wasn't like Carrie to bail and leave a friend scrambling to cover at the last minute. That would be I, extremely I, unfortunate. Yeah. Have, I, yeah. Have none of these people thought to open a missing persons at this point? Like, these are, you're not talking like they just missed a... Uh, they didn't miss a work meeting exactly but they missed like a a wedding and a baby shower that she's supposed to host like these are really major things and she typically talks to her mom every day and max lives with her typically right so these seem like like major flags we will get to it but nancy her mom is going to file a missing persons report and she does file it the friday before the wedding i'm not sure if the wedding was on saturday or sunday but she has filed it okay okay that makes sense. and we'll talk about how that went for her Mm, doesn't Um, sound like very well not very well (laughs) spoiler alert um but before we go any further i want to tell you guys a bit more about carrie so we'll go into our usual background about her so carrie leah farver was born on november 30th 1974 to parents nancy and dennis farver unfortunately nancy and dennis's romance was really short-lived and the pair divorced in 1976 
1979, Nancy had reconnected with her old high school sweetheart, Mark Ronnie. They have the cutest story ever. The book went into great detail, but basically they were very early friends. They were first loves and as it turned out, soulmates. If you can have a meet-cute situation for two people who had already dated, this would be it. They were both attending a party back in their hometown, which is super tiny, by the way. There's like 240 people that live in oh, Macedonia. Jeez. When they bumped into each other, I literally picture them backing into each other. <laughs> they were both unaware that they'd be at the party, let alone that they'd both be single. They ended up getting back together and eventually married. So now Carrie had two strong male role models in her life. She was super close with her biological father, Dennis, and now her stepfather, Mark, loved her as though she was his own. Hmm. From the time Carrie was a small child, her mom could tell she was special. Carrie didn't speak until she was three, and when she finally did, she was speaking in almost complete sentences. Nancy joked that it was almost like Carrie waited until she could fully communicate exactly what she wanted to say before saying anything at all. Carrie and Nancy were incredibly close. They shared a love of the theater, both acting in local productions, and they were also musically talented and enjoyed singing, not professionally, just as a hobby. Carrie was whip-smart and kind-hearted, but she had a little bit of an edge to her. In her high school yearbook, she was quoted as saying that she wanted to be remembered for always having a smile on her face and for being a little bit crazy. <laughs> well. Which I love. Yep. <laughs> She's going to be a lot of it crazy. Uh -huh. She was a great friend. She was not the least bit judgmental, and she would never think to say a bad word about anyone, even behind their back. Her family and friends often confided in her because they knew she would give them honest, unbiased feedback, and she'd be right there to lend a helping hand in whatever way they needed. Carrie attended the University of Kansas, and it was there where she met Max's dad. Their relationship ended almost as quickly as it had started, but when Carrie learned she was pregnant, they agreed to try to work it out for the sake of their future child. It ended up not working out after all. So at the time, Carrie was finding herself a soon-to-be single mother, working as a secretary, and she realized that she needed to make some more money. She had found a six-month computer course that cost about $5,000, an amount that she simply didn't have lying around. Her grandpa, though, Max, decided to foot the bill for the course, and in return, Carrie named her son after him. Aww. She gave birth to Maxwell Farver on December 10th, 1997, and 10 weeks later, she finished her programming course. <laughs> she graduated and got a tremendous job offer. The future was looking promising for Carrie. Wow. It was even fine that Max's father wasn't in the picture, because between Grandpa Max, Mark, and Dennis, who sometimes went by Denny, there were more than enough father figures in the family to go around. Over the coming years, Carrie would marry and divorce twice. She would also change careers a couple times, but the one thing that never changed was that she remained a loving and supportive mother to her son. Aww. So I got a grim fact for you guys. So I mentioned she changed careers a couple times. At one point, Carrie was studying to be a surgical nurse, but she ended up stopping that pursuit because she had a problem with fainting every time the surgeon cauterized flesh. Well, I can't blame you. Mm -hmm. This happened four times to her before her teacher pulled her aside and was like, yeah, you might want to consider a career change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. So just keep this little factoid in the back of your mind because it will be goosebump inducing later. Oh, boy. Oh, the words cauterizing uh, flesh are it's just they're so bad. Yeah. I don't want it to come back. I'm just like imagining <laughs> the smell. Well, mm. I wasn't. Oh, God, Thanks. All that's in my, mm. who Sorry, was guys. It, who was it that said that the smell of burning flesh smells like <laughs> delicious meat and it's Dahmer. the hair? <laughs> no. And it's the hair that smells bad. <laughs> Somebody said it. Of the two of us? Not me. Okay, wait. I swear, it wasn't this podcast. I swear that somebody recently said to me that, like, cooking human flesh. Yeah, that was not me. Smells <laughs> like bacon or like animal meat, and it's like the burning hair that smells bad. Um, okay, we did have a conversation about 
cooking Colby's thighs. We did. And then we also had... Did it come up then? It probably did. Because I don't have hairy thighs, though. (laughs) No, I think we were talking about whoever, whatever episode that was, we were talking about... It was Catherine Knight. Yeah. Because she cooked his butt. That's right. And then I asked about the hair. Okay. As long as I didn't dream it. Like, I swear Oh, no, I still think you dreamt it. Yeah. It does sound like we would have discussed that at that time. (laughs) Sounds like something we would have said. It also seems like fact. Like, that that seems legitimate to me. You know, burning hair is gross. (laughs) It's the hair that smells. Well, I'll help Now that we've cleared that up. I'll help you guys out and I'll let you know nobody's being prepared and served. So we are not cooking any human flesh. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) By the way, if you're interested in hearing about butt cheeks being eaten, go back and listen to Catherine Knight. (laughs) That was an excellent plug for your episode. We digress. On November 16th, Nancy called the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Department to report Carrie as a missing person, but the police did not share her sense of urgency. They told Nancy that Carrie was a grown woman and she had the right to disappear without telling anyone where she was going. Nancy said that, of course, she understood her daughter had the right to do that, but she would never be going about it in this way. Exactly. And we want to make sure that they don't investigate anything within the first 48 hours. Yes, exactly. Right. That's the least important time frame. Mm-hmm. I hear that the second 48 hours <laughs> is the most important time frame. <laughs> While Nancy was speaking with them, she casually mentioned that Carrie had been previously diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Some people suffering from the disorder display very visible symptoms, while for others, their condition is well-managed and not as obvious. Carrie fell into the latter category, but for the officers, this provided an explanation as to what might be happening here. They said it wasn't uncommon for people suffering from a mental illness to take off and act erratically, especially when not taking their medication. Nancy realized Carrie had left her medication at home. Even though she didn't fully believe it, maybe the officers were right. Maybe Carrie had suffered some sort of a mental break and there was hope that she was out there somewhere and could eventually be rehabbed and reunited with her family. As a quick aside, in 2012, Carrie Farver was one of 661,593 people reported missing. By the end of the year, all but 2,079 were accounted for. Wow. If you're like me and have never understood why police don't take these missing persons reports more seriously initially, Mm -hmm. this is why. The vast majority of people turn up unharmed and they're actually surprised to learn that anybody was worried or looking Mm. for them in the first place. Wow. Authorities will, of course, search for children immediately and adults who go missing under suspicious circumstances. Mm. I guess that's fair because you have to think about you have limited resources, you know, and I think that there are people who think that they know their children or or spouses or whomever well that don't and then it's those cases where they purposely went missing so it's hard to know uh, what the case is i guess nobody thought that carrie abandoning all of her responsibilities and her child was suspicious though because i probably would have found that to be a Mm -hmm. bit suspicious but max was a teenager and he did have his grandma who was close by so i guess you could see somebody off their medication or who maybe had a mental break just Mm not acting rationally and doing something like this. Around midnight the next day, so November 17th, Nancy received a text message from Carrie informing her that she had sold her bedroom set and she needed her mother to go to her house to let the buyer in so she could take the furniture. Carrie also attached a photo of a check for $5,000 for proof of the purchase. Nancy was surprised because Carrie's bedroom set was a family heirloom that had been passed down to her from her grandmother. Nancy told Carrie that she wouldn't do it unless Carrie called her and Mm. Nancy could hear her voice so she knew it was actually her. So that's where my mind was going is she's only sent these incoherent text messages. We have no current proof that it's her. Also, Nancy files a missing persons report and then Carrie reaches out and is like, I sold a bedroom set. Yep. 
Okay. The next day. The just, next day. Mm. Just want to make sure I have the timeline yep. correct. And that was the day of the wedding, wasn't it? If it was the next day? Because she filed it uh, on the Friday before the wedding? Mm, yes, I want to say this. I want to say the 16th would have been the Friday and the 17th was Saturday and Sunday. Even if it was like a day or two? It was around there. That mm. is the crazy thing to not be like, by the way, I'm also not going to the wedding. Even right. if, even if you were like in that like her text message to Dave like fuck you I'm not gonna go you think you would at least acknowledge it if it's really yes. Carrie so I'm very suspicious. Well, continue your suspicion because instead of receiving a call from Carrie, Nancy received hateful text messages calling her controlling and a bad mother. Nancy said she was initially super upset, but she very quickly realized that this was absolutely not her daughter speaking to her this way. Carrie would never. She loved her mother. Over the course of the next week or so, Nancy continued to hear from Carrie only via text message, asking her to call and always hearing some excuse or nasty retort in return. I don't like it. On Monday, November 19th, the missing persons case was assigned to Deputy Randall Phillips from the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Department. He wanted to try to find where Carrie was hiding out, so he checked her cell phone records, and he noticed that Carrie's cell phone was pinging in the general area of West Center Road and 114th Street in Omaha, Nebraska. She was still in town. Hmm. Deputy Phillips had also received the report of the text message Carrie had sent to her mother, along with the photo of the $5,000 check, and he wanted to try to learn a bit more about the person who had signed it, a woman named Shanna Goliar. Just as a reminder, Shanna's actually Liz's real name. Liz was her middle and preferred name, but she still sometimes went by Shanna. Oh. What was more interesting to Deputy Phillips, though, was that Liz lived in the vicinity where Carrie's phone was pinging, so he decided to pay Liz a visit. He explained to Liz that he was looking into a missing person named Carrie Farver, and he wanted to know how Liz knew her. Liz told him that she and Carrie had been dating the same man and that she was actually being harassed by Carrie. She shared that she suspected Carrie was harassing her because Carrie had blamed Liz for her and Dave's breakup. She also had an explanation as to why Carrie would have a check. She explained that her home had been broken into and vandalized, and one of the things that was taken was her checkbook. Oh my god, so Carrie wrote a check that she, allegedly, yes. we think, Carrie wrote a check that she stole from Liz. Exactly. Ooh, suspicious. Mm. Yep. And I'm gonna, I think I'm going to say suspicious throughout very, this entire don't thing. Be suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Don't be suspicious. That's in my head the whole that time. That was a really good rendition of that. Thank you so much. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so based on the message that was painted on her garage wall, remember, whore from Dave, or mm -hmm. if you're Laura, whore, <laughs> comma, from Dave. <laughs> but hey, grammar is important. Punctuation is important. It is important, but not to carry anymore. So at this point, Liz is convinced that it is Carrie mm -hmm. that broke into her home. One, Carrie emailed her and took credit for the vandalism. So she already thought it was her. But now that she knows Carrie has her checks, she's like, this is the girl that yes. is stalking me and mm -hmm. doing all this. Deputy Phillips was starting to think Carrie wasn't missing at all. She was just laying low while stalking Dave and Liz. He decided he needed to talk to Dave to see what additional information he could provide. Meanwhile, Dave was still being bombarded with messages, sometimes up to 60 a day. Beyond directly contacting Dave, Carrie started to diversify her attacks, and she frequently set her sights on Hyatt Tire, where Dave works, remember? Mm -hmm. One day, she called there so much that the phone lines were too tied up for actual customers to get through. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dave's manager was furious. On another occasion, Dave arrived at work to find that somebody had spray-painted Dave Krupa Beats Women on the walls. Good God. Fortunately, he and a buddy of his were able to get it cleaned off before his manager saw at this point, Dave was really lucky that Carrie's shenanigans hadn't cost him his job, but he was really worried that they might. Mm. That takes commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of work to stalk somebody. Who has the right. time? Nobody. Well, she's not going to work. Well, Carrie. Oh, yes. Yes. She's yeah. just forgoing all of her responsibilities, so she's a 100% stalker right yeah. now. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Shortly after Liz and Dave spoke with Deputy Phillips, Carrie texted the deputy telling him to leave Dave out of the investigation and to stop looking for her. She did not want to be found. She stated that she had left on her own and she made a remark about how she wanted a certain person to go away for destroying her life. To Deputy Phillips, this felt like a threat against Liz and he grew increasingly concerned for Liz's safety. How did she text the deputy? I don't know how she texted the deputy. She had his number somehow. Amazing. I don't know if you could have looked it up. Maybe she Googled yeah. him. I don't know. I mean, she also found where Liz lived. I mean, she's I. she can do anything. She, Like I said, she works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie had also sent Dave an email saying that she hoped Liz got framed for her being missing, implying that she was, in fact, trying to set Liz up and punish her for taking her man. Nothing bonds people more than shared trauma. And so Liz and Dave actually got back together. <gasps> Dave said that he and Liz often received messages when they were together. Liz would usually sigh. They'd read the messages out loud, exasperated. The texts always vowed to hurt Liz and professed devotion to Dave. I'm really surprised they took it so casually. Like, I I would be worried that that Carrie was going to actually hurt me. Like, that's really brazen to break into someone's house, spray paint things, like... I, it wouldn't be a far jump to hurt someone. So I would not be taking that so casually. I think at this point she's threatened violence, but she hasn't mm, actually shown yeah. up. True. She's missing. She doesn't want to be seen. So I think they're really like putting all their eggs in this basket that like she's not actually mm. going to harm them. She just wants to like really rattle yeah. them. Hmm. I would be rattled getting that many messages. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, me like, too. Yeah. That would just invade your sense of security exactly. throughout the day. I'd be, I'd be all set with Dave at that point. I'd be like, mm. you know what? Crazy Carrie can have you. Yeah. I'm sure you're a nice, nice gentleman, but like, I'm out. It's not mm-hmm. worth it. I'm good. The two coined the nickname Crazy Carrie for their stalker. And if Carrie's aim was to drive Liz away, all she was doing was pushing them closer together. Mm. While all of this was going on, Carrie remained surprisingly active on Facebook. On November 21st, her family was surprised to see a post she made. It read, moving to Kansas for a great job. We'll miss family and great friends. Will you? Another on November 26th. Hey, got a great guy, David Krupa, moving down to Kansas. Now if I can only get my son to move with me, I'd be so happy. And Max is like, say what? Yes, and Nancy was like, oh, hell no. Nancy read this post, and she thought that this person was threatening to take Max. So even if it really was Carrie and she was having some sort of a mental break, she could still be dangerous to Max. So Mm -hmm. Nancy and her husband made a really difficult decision. They decided that they were going to officially obtain guardianship of Max because they wanted to keep him safe. They felt absolutely horrible for taking Carrie's son away from her, but they were assured by the police that if Carrie ever returned and she was of sound mind, the guardianship arrangement could be terminated. I side with Nancy and, and husband on this. I, mm-hmm. I think that was the right move. I think so, too. Like, Max had to be the priority because mm-hmm. he was 14 mm-hmm. when they took this action. November faded into December, and there were still no sightings of Carrie. On December 3rd, Mark and Nancy reported Carrie's SUVs stolen. On December 7th, Carrie's father, Dennis, passed away. Prior to her disappearance, Carrie would go with Max to visit her father often, and he definitely noticed that she was absent, and he asked why she wasn't coming, so the family had to break the news to him that she was missing as gently as they could, and I just can't, I can't imagine, that probably was, like, what really did Mm him in there, to have to sit with that news that your daughter was missing. Oh, Where is she? How is she living? She's not working? Like, where is she getting money? She's in the cloud. (laughs) Stolen checkbooks? Yeah, from stolen checkbooks, probably. On December 10th, Max turned 15. No sign of Carrie. Oh, okay. On December 12th, the family had Dennis's funeral. With each passing event and no sign of Carrie, their hope really started to fade. 
In the move of a desperate man, Dave Krupa texted Carrie asking her, why did you start acting that way? It frankly blows my mind. It all came out of left field. If he was hoping for a sane response, he'd be left waiting forever. No explanation was offered, only more harassing emails. Didn't help to block the calls. It didn't matter if he changed his phone number. Carrie always seemed to find his new contact information. The same was true for Liz. Carrie had multiple phone numbers and email addresses that she used to contact the two of them. We'll give you guys a few email addresses of Carrie's. Dave's girl, Carrie. <laughs> Krupa Carrie, 76. I think 76 is the year that Dave was born. Wow. Just Carrie, 29. And Leah Krupa. Leah was Carrie's middle name. So this is a woman obsessed here. I'm picturing a middle schooler who's scribbling yeah. their yes. name with yep. their crush's last name. That is disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Amy Flora, remember, Dave's ex, was now starting to receive messages too. Oh my Jeez. gosh. In late December, Dave received an email from Carrie saying that she was pregnant. Dave ignored this because he had gotten a vasectomy some time ago, so he knew it couldn't possibly be his child. But what Dave didn't know, though, is that Carrie had actually had a hysterectomy prior to meeting him. Somebody was messing with him. Liz was complaining she, too, was being dragged into the baby mama drama. Carrie had emailed her saying, Dave and I want to provide a happy home for this baby, so I'm kindly asking you to please back off and leave Dave alone. I don't know if it was the oddly civil tone or that Liz had had enough of Carrie's games, but at this point, she responded essentially saying that if that's what it took for the harassment to stop, she'd stop seeing Dave. But did she stop seeing Dave, poor guys? <laughs> no. No, she never followed through. She stayed with Dave. And you know what? Dave had to hand it to her. Liz had some thick skin to stick around through all of this. She mm-hmm. was proving to be an extremely loyal friend and maybe even somewhat more than that. Mm. Not long after Dennis died, Nancy had a dream that Dennis said to her, Nancy, she's with me. And she knew instantly that he meant Carrie was with him in heaven. She woke up and felt like she had really seen him. She took comfort in knowing that her daughter had found peace, but continued to maintain a small amount of hope that she was actually still alive. Yeah, this is this is already insane because you have all these different perspectives and reactions to what's happening. Because on the one hand, you have Dave and Liz, who I think think it's really Carrie, who's just yeah. gone off the deep end and are, is harassing them and stalking them and everything. And then you have Nancy and Max, who are the family who think there's either seriously something wrong with her and she's alive or that this is not really her. And right. I'm, I'm in that camp right now. That it's not really her. Yeah. And then the police are somewhere in the middle because they're kind of like not taking it seriously enough to go assume that she's been kidnapped, but which is kind of surprising because you've, you've, even though you've quote unquote heard from her, you haven't. Right. And then you would think that, like, I don't know why Dave and Liz didn't put like a harassment, you know, restraining order. I don't know. They had definitely know. filed harassment. Yeah, I guess reports. what else I don't, do? I don't know if they had a yeah. restraining order. Maybe not because she physically wasn't present, yeah. but they definitely filed multiple harassment reports. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just, it's a very, a very strange situation. Very strange. On January 6th, 2013, Nancy received a message from Carrie on Facebook, but it was from a different account than the one she recognized to be her daughter's. Carrie asked, mom, why are you not talking anymore? The profile contained actual photos of Carrie, so Nancy's heart raced as she thought maybe this really was Carrie. Again, Nancy asked Carrie if she could call her so she could hear her voice to know everything was okay. Mm. And once again, Carrie refused. She responded saying, everything is about phone calls. I was just heading to bed. Who else would know about dad? Fine, I will call you sometime. I just wanted you to know I'm okay. I am happy. I may not be the greatest person in the world right now, but I am talking. 
Fine, I will call you, but I'm done after that. You have Max and I am grateful, but after the cop stuff from before, I'm done. I'm not 10 years old, mom. I can leave him and move on with someone new. What? No. Right? Move on with somebody yeah. new? Are you kidding me? That's your child. Yes. That's not someone you found on Plenty of Fish. No. That's your child. And Nancy felt the same way. She knew that Carrie would never willingly leave her son behind. Nancy was 100% confident that the person who wrote this message was not Carrie. Soon, another post popped up. It was the photo of a hand with a diamond ring, captioned, Dave and I got engaged. (laughs) If Nancy needed any more proof, which she didn't, (laughs) but if she needed it, this photo was it. Carrie had long slender fingers and the person in this photo had squatty hands and short fingers. Hmm. Nancy knew this was not Carrie. On the same day, Dave Krupa received a disturbing email from Carrie. It was a photo of a woman with dark hair tied up in the trunk of a car with duct tape over her mouth. Dave couldn't tell for sure because the woman's face was obscured, but he felt it looked a lot like Liz. Carrie's email said that it was in fact Liz, and the only way she would let her go was if Dave called her and left her a voicemail breaking up with her. She said she would then have Liz play the message out loud for her to hear, and she would only set her free if Dave also agreed to get back together with her. This has escalated Mm, to a new level. And if he didn't comply, Liz would die alone, locked in a trunk, and nobody would ever find her. Dave texted Liz to ask her if she was all right, but he didn't get a response. He wasn't too concerned, though. Up until now, Carrie hadn't been violent toward either of them, so he decided to call her bluff. Sure enough, when he woke up the next morning, he had a message from Liz confirming that she had not been kidnapped by crazy Carrie, and she was just fine. Okay, I don't want Dave taking care of me, because (laughs) on the off chance, like, it, okay, if it were real... And you send this message, I think Liz would understand. Yeah. And if it's not real, I think Liz would understand. <laughs> so I just don't, uh, you go to sleep. You don't hear back from Liz. You're like, oh, well, you know, got to put law and order on and go to sleep. Right? You don't, you don't call that bluff. No. You don't That's call that. That's a dangerous game. Yeah. I Isn't that a movie? The most dangerous, the most dangerous game. game. <laughs> I think that this really speaks to how little Dave actually cared about Liz and yes, he's kind of so. just with her out of this guilt or obligation and he wants company. He's like, these bitches be crazy, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to sleep. <laughs> They'll be there in the morning, dead or alive. Who cares? On January 8th, Dave spotted Carrie's Ford Explorer parked outside of his apartment complex. He called the police to have the vehicle towed, but why was it there in the first place? Well... Carrie had an explanation. She texted Dave claiming to have rented an apartment in his complex. Was she actually living there? He gave the apartment number to the police and they confirmed that it did not exist. Hold on. So he gave the apartment number to the police, but not the picture of a woman tied up in a trunk? He might have given that okay, to them okay, as well. Right. This this whole time, um, Liz and Dave are giving information okay, to the right, police. Okay, yeah. There's a few other things that are going on, like... On one occasion, Carrie threw a brick or something through the apartment window because she was mad that Dave Mm. had another woman in there. Maybe Liz was there. Mm -hmm. Um, Another time, like one of Dave's kids said something about how she had a nightmare that there was a woman walking through the house at night. And Dave was kind of like, you know, honey, it's okay. There's no monsters in the closet. Like I checked under the bed and I didn't see anything. But he was a little nervous that it might have been Carrie. Mm. So they have been reporting all of this stuff. It's just not materializing into anything. Okay. All right. All right. I'll give him a pass on that one. Because Carrie's vehicle had been reported stolen in Iowa, the Omaha Police Department turned the vehicle over to the Potts County Sheriff Department for processing on January 10th. But nothing of any substance was found. Both the interior and exterior of the car were dusted for fingerprints. 
No prints were found on the exterior of the car, and the interior had seemingly been wiped clean. Mm. The seats had recently been vacuumed. You could tell by the lines that were still left behind on the cushion. So, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The floors were not nearly as clean as the seats. They had a little bit of debris, but there was nothing that was going to be useful or anything that you could get DNA from. There was, however, a tin of mints in the center console, and that did have a single print on it. Investigators ran it through the National Fingerprint Database, but there were no matches. Whoever's print this was was not in the system. Liz and Dave continued to show investigators the text messages and emails they were receiving from Carrie. So to Laura's point, Mm. yes, this stuff is constantly being reported. By now, they had received thousands of messages from her. The sheer volume was almost as impressive as it was overwhelming. It would take a lot of time to comb through all of these messages, but the Omaha Police Department had an idea. They asked Liz and Dave if they would consent to having the contents of their phones downloaded. Maybe they could use some of the information to find clues as to where Carrie was hiding or how she was finding them. You know, I had a thought. This is 2012, so I don't know if this still applies, but... Do you think this was still in the time where you had to pay for text messages? But do you remember you had <laughs> oh to, my gosh, it was yeah. 10 cents to send and three that. cents to receive? I think so. Two, so two to receive. Two, two to receive. So now that, what do they have to pay? 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> She's really racking up the bills for them. Wasn't it free after eight? Yeah, maybe. Not for text. No, for call. That, that's why she didn't want to call. Yes, she didn't <laughs> oh want to call. Oh my God. Oh my God. Laura just figured it I out. Figured you said. You she said. cracked the case. She yep. did. She always does. I'm shocked she didn't use a map to crack it, though. That was That's what's most impressing me. I was just Not on MapQuest, but it didn't get me anywhere. <laughs> no, I was using the map to make sure I knew what states we were talking about. No, Marina's looking at like the Louisiana purchase over here on MapQuest, trying to figure out where Kansas and Nebraska are. <laughs> Both Liz and Dave agreed, and the investigators used a technology called Celebrite to transfer the files from their cell phones. Just as a note, there are two different kinds of downloads that can be done. There's a logical download or a physical download. A logical download takes everything that is currently on the phone, while a physical download extracts the entire contents of the phone's memory, including anything that was deleted. Since Dave and Liz were both victims and not suspects, authorities only performed a logical download on their phones. That seems to be like the the standard procedure, because why would they have any incentive to delete things from their stalkers? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably because the memory on their phone doesn't hold enough space for all those text messages. (laughs) They're like, I get a thousand a day. You know, it's been what, like three months. Like I'm out of gigabytes over here. Yeah. Out of memory. (laughs) Investigators were hopeful that maybe Carrie's bank records could provide some additional insight on her plans. They found that her account had about $10,000 in it, but there had not been a single withdrawal since the day she went missing. Where is this bitch? Like, what is she doing? She's using Liz's checks. Yeah. Who I hope canceled and, like, voided all of those, but still. How long has she been off the grid? At this point, we're at about four months. Which, wow. Which, it's not really off the grid when you're, like, excessively texting everyone every day, but where the fuck is she? Maybe she was squirreling away money at some point in Mm. time, or maybe Dave had cash or something Mm. she took. But it seems it's fishy, because how is she surviving? Right. And where is she? Yeah. Because she's not in her car anymore. No. Because now they have the car. I'm so glad this is solved, because if this was an unsolved case, I'd be just fuming right now. Fun fact, it is solved. Colby's not going to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am going to tell you guys. You you just got to get through the case to the end. Toxicology report. No, no toxicology reports That'd here. That'd be bad if there is one. That'd be bad. Authorities were, however, able to find that there were two suspicious transactions that her debit card was used for. One from Walmart and the other from the dollar store. 
When her bank didn't hear back from Carrie confirming the activity, they froze her accounts. So not only has she not withdrawn anything, the accounts are frozen and nobody has tried to access them the entire time she's been missing. I'm also intrigued as to what set off the concern because that those seem like regular price uh, purchases and and stores and it's all I assume in a relatively close location. So I wonder what the purchases were for. See, and I was thinking it was probably a different state. Oh, maybe. Maybe. I do want to take a second to acknowledge that this is a mystery that is unfolding across multiple states and several different police jurisdictions. And Mm. I I actually have to commend the authorities for making it a point to keep each other informed Mm. of what they know. They definitely were not aligned regarding what was going on. So to the Iowa authorities, Carrie was a missing woman who kind of just shirked all of her responsibilities and was MIA in the ether somewhere. To the police in Omaha, Carrie was a stalker, harasser. She was a wanted woman. Mm -hmm. But they were at least aware of each other's investigations. It did take a little bit of time for them to get connected, but I appreciate that they made the efforts here. I wonder if that's what helped it ultimately be solved. The fact that they had different perspectives on it, they're not like locking themselves into assumptions and that sort of thing. So maybe, maybe that's why. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what's going to happen, but (sighs) not in the way you're describing Uh, it. Okay. Hmm. I'll take half. You could have partial credit. credit. Yeah, (laughs) partial credit. On April 17th, a man claiming to be Dave Krupa called Nancy and told her that Carrie had been in contact with him. She was at a homeless shelter in Omaha and she wanted Nancy to come get her. Nancy was so relieved to learn that her daughter was alive after all this time, but had Carrie really had a breakdown and gotten better and now she was ready to return? Why hadn't she just called Nancy directly? Mm -hmm. None of that mattered. They could figure it all out in time, and Nancy was just so excited at the prospect of seeing Carrie again. She was shaking and in no shape to drive, and her husband was out of town, so she had to call her brother and have her come get get her and bring her to the shelter. On the drive, Nancy called Deputy Phillips, so one of the deputies from Potts County, to tell him the good news, and he told her that he and his partner would meet her at the shelter. Oh, good, because I was worried she was going to go alone. So nope. I'm glad she's got her husband. She's got the police. She's got her good. brother because her she's husband's got a brother. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Thank you. I'm still focused on the fact that Colby said a man claiming to be Dave Krupa. Oh, me too. That's why I didn't want her to go alone. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't like that. Well, because at this point, Nancy doesn't know Dave Krupa. All she okay. knows is that Carrie is claiming that this is apparently her fiance now, but Nancy's never met Dave. So she she doesn't know what his voice sounds like or anything like that. Does she know that... that allegedly Carrie's been harassing Dave and Liz, do we I think? I don't believe she's aware of it at this oh. point. Oh. I think she kind of finds out after The this. plot thickens. The plot thickens. We're throwing some cornstarch in this bitch. <laughs> Fitting, because we are in the Midwest. <laughs> when they arrived, Nancy was disappointed to not see Carrie waiting out front, but Deputy Phillips had Nancy wait in the car while he and his partner went inside to get her. He brought a photo of her with him, and he couldn't immediately find her, so he started asking around, showing the photo to people at the shelter, the employees, the people who were staying there. No one at the shelter had seen this woman before. Mm -hmm. This had all been a cruel, cruel hoax. Mm -hmm. Carrie was never there. Nancy was devastated. Why would somebody do this to her? Police questioned Dave and asked him why he had bothered to get Nancy's hopes up like this, but Dave had no idea what they were talking about. He didn't call anybody named Nancy. Of course not. What is going on? Yeah, because even though this obviously makes me continue to think that she's been taken and and don't know if she's alive, but I still, I'm not even sure what the motive would be. Yeah, I, at this point, I I wouldn't know what to think. I mean, I know. (laughs) But (laughs) I know what to think. I wouldn't know. The police were right there with you guys, though. They had no idea what to make of this whole mess either. On April 22nd, they obtained permission from Mark and Nancy to search Carrie's home, hoping to find some clues as to where Carrie had gone. 
but they found that the home was largely untouched. Max had come by to pick up some of his things, but everything else was just as Carrie had left it. Despite a careful and well-documented search, they found nothing to indicate where Carrie had gone. It had been over five months since she disappeared, and they were no closer to finding her. Hmm. On May 3rd, Carrie's son worked up the courage to message his mom's Facebook account. He kept it really simple with a basic, hi. He immediately received a response back. Hey, little man, how are you? Carrie had never called Max little man, and Max was 15 at this point in time, so it felt really weird to him. Mm. So he decided he was going to put this person through the ringer. If they were really his mom, they would answer three questions for him. What is my middle name? What was the name of our first boxer? And who was my best friend growing up? This, how did no one else think to do that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> brilliant for Max. Yeah, good for him. Also heartbreaking, but good for him. Yes. I can't, I cannot no. imagine how he felt writing this. And as soon as he sent it, waiting for a response. Yeah. And he did wait, and she never responded to oh, him. Oh, no. Because she didn't have the answers. she didn't have the answers. <sighs> on May 11th, a post popped up on remembered.com for Liz, which is a site where you post obituaries. The obituary read, I didn't know her very well, except that she was a whore and a man stealer. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. This is just not what I expected. It's okay. I'm doing say. a very good rendition of it, too. She kept stealing my man. She is unable to get her own man that she has to keep, t- that she has to keep talking to everyone else's men. Thank God she is gone. You riddance to you. I'm pretty sure she meant good riddance mm-hmm. to you. Aside from the usual poor punctuation and grammar that Dave had come to know from his stalker, he noticed one other thing. He noticed the date of death was the current date. So was the stalker seriously planning to harm Liz? Well, that same day, Dave received an email from Carrie that contained a picture of Liz's kids. The Mm. email read, These are the ugliest kids, just like their whore mom. They should die with their whore mom so I don't have to see their ugliness anymore. No one wants her and her bratty kids around. This is so fucked up. The photo was clearly taken from outside of Liz's home (gasps) with the children seated inside, (gasps) completely unaware that the photo was being taken. Hate it. Liz wasn't dead, but now she was scared to death. Yeah. Oh my God. Finally, though. Hate it. Yeah. Hate it. I have curtains and don't use them, and I think I'm going to start using them because I hate it. I think you should. (laughs) We record in an area without curtains, and I constantly freak Laura out because I look through the windows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes at my neighbors, but other times because I want to make sure nobody's out there. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. I got your back. (laughs) Throughout this entire experience, Dave had been continuing to date Liz casually. She had claimed Wednesdays as her day with Dave, but she was often with him on other days as well. She called herself Dave's Wednesday girl. (laughs) I know, very original. (laughs) Dave never hid from Liz that he was seeing other women, although Crazy Carrie always seemed to do a really great job chasing the others away, so it never lasted too long. You had to admire Liz's persistence and her backbone made of steel. Occasionally, Liz did push for more, but even after all they had been through, Dave was still not interested in settling down with Liz. When she couldn't contain her jealousy anymore, she blew up at him. He would break things off with her, just reminding her that he was always honest about what this was. Interestingly enough, though, their breakups never lasted very long because the stalker would always do something horrendous to send them running back to each other. Hmm. So matchmaker. <laughs> I just when you're talking about him dating other women, I just can't imagine going on and living any semblance yeah, of a no. normal life while this is going on. This would be yeah. all consuming. Well, that's that was my point earlier. Like if I even if I thought they were kind of veiled threats, I wouldn't be walking to my car alone. No. I wouldn't Mm-mm. be home alone. I just I'm with you. I don't think I could live normally. No. I think Dave was trying his best, but it's really starting to grate on him. Mm. 
He guessed that about 99% of his conversations with Liz were about their stalker. Mm. Dave was exhausted by the never-ending deluge of texts that he received. There was never a moment that the stalker allowed him to rest. Somehow, they always knew what Dave was doing, where he was, and who he was with. Dave wanted more out of life. He needed more out of life. What the fuck? On August 16th, the Omaha Fire Department was alerted to a fire at Liz's house. When they arrived on the scene, they found Liz standing outside and they asked her if anybody was in the home. She told them that she and her kids actually weren't living there at the time. She had just swung by to pick up some things so there were no people inside, but her four pets, Mm, two mm -mm. dogs, a cat, and Mm -mm. a snake all were. No. All of them would end up dying as a result of smoke inhalation. No. No. I know. I hate this. Oh. When a fire is investigated, one of the first things they do is try to establish a root cause. Chief McClanahan from the Omaha Fire Department was on the scene to do just that. On his initial walkthrough of the home, he found a gas can that was left on the floor and observed that the fire seemed to originate from multiple locations. Fires don't just start in multiple locations simultaneously. They start in a single place and they spread from there. Fires can either be incendiary, which are intentional, accidental, natural, or undetermined. It was very clear to the chief that this fire was incendiary, but who said it? He determined that there were six points of origin for the fire. In the basement on the third stair from the bottom up, the threshold leading to the garage door, two piles of clothing in the laundry room, and two separate couches. Wow. Whoever had set this fire seemed to have done so with the intention of burning down the whole house and destroying everything inside, but they were very clearly an amateur arsonist because they left all the windows in the home shut. A fire needs oxygen to burn, so without the windows open, it eventually just went out on its own. Hey, listen, learn. Yep, listen, learn. Just keep your windows shut. Please don't do that. (laughs) And if you do, can you let the animals out first? Oh, I meant meant more keep your windows shut in case anybody sets fire to your house. Oh, I'm sorry. I went a different direction. Oh, but also, if you're the arsonist, (laughs) take Laura's (laughs) advice. Laura was trying to teach people how to burn it to the ground, but just let the animals out first. Oh, gosh. So sorry. We do agree on that point. Please let the animals out first. Even the snake, which I don't have a lot of love for, but it still has a little soul and And its slithery body. It doesn't deserve to die in a fire. A little nope rope. (laughs) It was a nope rope. The poor snake. The poor pets. Okay, let's move on from that before I cry. Liz called Dave in a panic because her house was burning, and she had him come to her rescue. Even though they weren't dating at the time, he felt really bad for her and he felt super guilty for mm. bringing Crazy Carrie into Liz's life because this was a line that Crazy yeah. Carrie had crossed yeah. now. Once again, a terrible event had reunited Liz and Dave. On November 1st, 2013, Dave received an email from Carrie containing a photo of a knife that she claimed to have been creeping through his house with. This is the one that I mentioned a little while ago. There was also a photo of her driver's license and an envelope with her address on it. It was presumably a bill. It was almost like the stalker was trying to prove to Dave that she was, in fact, Carrie, but Dave never doubted it, nor did he ever suspect it could possibly be somebody else. It was coming up on a year since the messages had started, and it was physically taking a toll on Dave. He had gained 40 pounds. He didn't recognize himself when he looked in the mirror. He had dark, intense bags under his eyes, and he spent entirely too much of his days at a nearby dive bar. He used to drink casually before the stalker, but now he drank daily as a coping mechanism. Yeah, it's just nuts because I again, if you assume it's Carrie, God, give it up. Like, right? go a do year. something else. You dated him yeah. for two weeks, and a yeah. year later, yeah. And then if it's not Carrie, and it is someone who hurt her, has abducted her, what do you want? You're not asking for anything. No, it's not ransom. Like, go away. The harassment continued for the next year and a half. Oof. 
Unfortunately, after that, after that, so Holy we were already shit. at the year mark. So now another year and a half on top. So we're at two and a half years of just daily text messages oh from God. Crazy Carrie. This is a very whether it's Carrie or not. This is obviously a very mentally ill person mm-hmm. because yes. there is no sane person who would have the stamina to continue this. The this in- is someone with delusions. Mm-hmm. The investigators determined that it must have taken this person between 50 to 60 hours a week to do all of the, the stuff that they were doing with the texting and the stalking. And it, that is commitment. Full time job. Literally a full time job. Goodness. Finally, on February 1st, 2015, Dave moved out of his apartment in Omaha and across the river to Council Bluffs, Iowa. He was hoping that it would give him a fresh start and put an end to his stalker's constant messaging and threats. Dave was wrong. In May, Amy Flora had given birth to a beautiful baby boy, and while it wasn't Dave's child, the baby was a half-sibling to his own children. The father wasn't in the picture, so Dave was usually around to, you know, just to help out around the house, and Liz was having a really hard time with how much time Dave was spending with Amy and the kids. She does not like this. In the fall of that same year, Liz started a new job, and she actually made a female friend, probably for the first time ever. I was actually wondering that. Like, I, I do get why she called Dave with the house fire. Like, that, I don't know, sense of security, whatever. Yep. But it seemed like he was it for her. Yes. So I... He was it for yeah, her. Yeah, interesting. Her new friend was named Cherokee Montoya, which can we just take a second to appreciate how dope this name is? Yeah. It's a dope name. I uh-huh. love it. For whatever reason, when Liz first met Cherokee, instead of introducing herself as Liz, she introduced herself as Shanna, so that's the name that Cherokee knew her by. Hmm. Cherokee had heard all about Dave Krupa and his cheating, as her friend Shanna described it. She wondered why Dave couldn't see what a great girl he had. Cherokee often encouraged Shanna to forget about Dave and to find someone else, but it was clear that Shanna had eyes only for Dave. Cherokee was openly bisexual, and she was attracted to Liz, and Liz knew this. This gave Liz an idea. Perhaps she could lure Dave into a committed relationship with the promise of a threesome. <sighs> Cherokee did not love this idea, and fortunately, neither did her husband. Liz's plans to lock Dave down were again thwarted. I now have suspicions about Liz. I, I had not at all, but now I'm like, hmm, hmm. Could she have self-inflicted hmm. some of this? She's trying real hard. Hmm. I'm just going to say a whole bunch of um, theories. That way I can be correct no matter what. <laughs> yes, go for it. <laughs> then if I just blame everyone and everything and every possible scenario. Oh, were, were there aliens? Um, yes, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. I okay. knew it. <laughs> I just I just want to cover my bases here so I can be there correct. There were um, also zombies and werewolves yep. and vampires that were just mm-hmm. kind of coexisting in the okay. woods here. Right. Economics taught me well. <laughs> as long as I can make my answer correct. You got it. <laughs> in 2015, two new detectives from the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Department expressed an interest in the case. They had heard the chatter around the water cooler and they wanted to try to take a crack at it for themselves. Detectives Jim Doty and Ryan Avis decided to look at Carrie's case with a unique approach. Avis examined the case as though Carrie was still alive while Doty worked it as though she wasn't. Yes. Huh. Yes, I like this. Yes. Avis went through the facts. She hasn't been seen or spoken to by friends and family in two and a half years. She had abandoned her house, her car, and all of her possessions. She had abandoned her child and her dying father. She missed important events for friends and family. She had not withdrawn money from her account this entire time. None of these things pointed to Carrie being alive, and he was pretty sure that she wasn't. One thing that really stood out to both of these detectives was a name that kept popping up, Shanna Golier. A few days after Carrie had gone missing, she had sent her supervisor a resignation text. In it, she recommended a replacement for the company to hire, Shanna Golier. 
It seemed really off to her supervisor because looking at Shanna's resume, she was woefully unqualified. And Carrie would have known about the company's extensive interview process. And like, guys, you can't just fake being a developer. You either have the skills or you're not. Like, you cannot be one if you do not know how to code. Yeah. Laura, you might be, you you might have guessed it. (laughs) See? (laughs) Aliens. Aliens. Avis and Dodie found this very strange. The check that had been written to purchase Carrie's furniture had also been from Shanna Goliar. They analyzed the signature and compared it to what was on file for Liz. They had her signature on file because she had to sign paperwork when she consented to the phone dump. Mm. Sure enough, it matched. Ah. They looked at the metadata associated to the photo of the check. The picture had been taken on an LG Spectrum cell phone model VS920, which happened to be the exact phone model that Shanna slash Liz owned at the time. There are too many pages left for it to be this this buttoned up and clear. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie hadn't stolen the checks and written one to herself. Liz wrote the checks and she took the picture and she sent it to Nancy. They went back through the photos from the 2013 download. There was a photo of Carrie's Ford Explorer on Liz's phone. It was taken on Christmas Eve, two weeks before the vehicle would be found. Detective Avis studied the phone data extensively. He estimates that he personally put in an extra 500 hours of unpaid labor on the case. Oh my gosh. But it certainly paid off in terms of the case. (laughs) Maybe not financially, but it paid off for the case. He found that on November 6th and 7th, 2012, Liz had made six calls to a landline. Five on the 6th and one on the 7th. The longest of these calls lasted only 33 seconds. But the landline belonged to Carrie Farver. (sighs) Now Detective Doty studied the report on Carrie's vehicle. He was very interested in this unknown fingerprint from the mint tin. He had one of his technicians compare the print to Liz's prints. And guess what? (gasps) They were a match. (gasps) All roads seemed to lead back to Liz. The end. These other pages are just for just, for, just for show. show. No, we haven't gotten the burning flesh to come back around oh, again. Oh, no. Yeah, Marina's waiting for that one. I am. So, if you guys hadn't already figured it out, I'm going to tell you right now that Liz is the one responsible for Carrie's disappearance, and she is the one that's been sending all of these messages the whole time. Yes, I got it. <laughs> but, so, she, who took a picture of her in the trunk? She did it. She took a picture, like a tripod. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's why she didn't respond that night. She was busy. She was busy being in the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> Liz had some secrets. She had a very dark past that we just simply do not have time to get into because I would have made this case even longer, believe it or not. I could have <laughs> added another 10 pages, so be thankful. Um, but I will just say this. Liz or Shanna or whatever she wants to call herself is not a good person. She has a proven track record of being manipulative and obsessive, and she may or may not have killed her firstborn child <gasps> and let an innocent man take the fall for it. <gasps> what? I think she did, but again, that's a story for another day. Maybe I'll cover it as a Patreon episode. I think you should. Um, I really do think you should as well, because I'm invested in this story. Maybe Very. Well. There's one more thing, too. Liz had actually had a boyfriend while she was dating Dave, a man named Garrett Sloan. Liz had met Garrett on a different dating site in September of 2010. So this whole time that Liz was upset that Dave is seeing other people, she herself has been with another person all along. I can't say if Liz ever really had feelings for Garrett. Maybe at some point she did, but to me it seemed like a relationship of convenience to her. Garrett often helped Liz out financially. He watched her children, and he even gave her a place to live, which was why she wasn't living at her house when it was on fire. She was at his. I didn't really ask those questions. That makes sense. COVID brain. Yeah. (laughs) Garrett was a kind man who never would have believed that Liz was capable of everything she had done and would do in the years to come. Liz had no idea that the investigators were starting to close in on her. She thinks she's nailing this. (laughs) 
She was. She for was two and for a, half a long years. time. Yeah. She was nailing this. On December 4th, 2015, Liz walked into the police station and Avis and Dodie said it felt like they were seeing a celebrity for the first time. They had read so much about her, known so much about her, but they'd never seen her in person. So they were like starstruck. Wow. <laughs> Liz was there to file another harassment report, but not about Carrie Farver. This time it was Amy Flora. Liz explained that she was worried because Amy had been stalking her on Facebook. Liz shared that she and Dave were currently broken up and that and that a couple days after it happened, someone had broken into Dave's apartment and stolen his gun. They only took a pistol. Dave also had a shotgun in his closet, which would have been visible to this person, so I thought it was a little bit weird that they only took the pistol. Liz was worried that Amy might try to do something to hurt her or the kids. There was something else, too. She had been doing some reflecting on the past few years, and she thought it would be really weird for Carrie, a woman who only dated Dave for all of two weeks, to be so obsessed that she'd still be stalking him and harassing her three years later. But what if it had always been Amy Flora at the center of the threats? That just made so much more sense, Liz thought. Dave and Amy were co-parenting their children, and Amy must have just been so jealous that she had such a great man and lost him, and now she just had to watch Dave with all these other women. You know, I, when you said that Liz had been dating somebody else while she was dating Dave, I was thinking, but accusing Dave of yep. cheating. I was thinking, don't they say, like, if you're accusing someone of cheating, you're doing you're the cheating. cheating? It's kind of the same. If you're accusing someone of harassment and abduction, then maybe you're doing the harassment and abduction. Maybe. Or you maybe know? you're legitimately being harassed or, you know, but not, not in this case. No. <laughs> I'm trying to push the blame. I'm thinking of people who murder other people or kidnap them and they're part of the search party exactly like let's go look Mm -hmm. in these woods Mm -hmm. they insert themselves into the center Mm -hmm. of the investigation with this new theory avis said it would really help their case if they could get another download from liz's phone of course liz agreed anything to help put amy away for the horrible things she'd been putting her through they did the other download they did the other download this time they did a physical download of the phone this is like a phone toxicology yeah give me Give me the cellular toxicology reports. (laughs) Before Liz left, Avis told her that there was one more thing that would be very helpful, and it was if Liz could get Amy to disclose information to her that only Carrie's killer would know. Because at this point, Avis is convinced that Carrie is dead. And you know what? He didn't have to wait that long. Literally the next day, she began forwarding him emails from Amy. On Saturday, December 5th, Liz abruptly announced to Garrett that she was heading out to Walmart, which was weird because she usually didn't bother to tell him when she was coming or going. Liz didn't go to Walmart, though. Instead, she went to Big Lake Park, a 163-acre park in Council Bluffs, Iowa, that's a rolling terrain of grassy hills and beautiful trees. Great place to bury a body. (laughs) There are three lakes in the park, which are stocked with trout for fishermen. There are tennis courts. But one thing it doesn't have is a lot of lighting. It's not really a place that somebody would go to after dark. Regardless... Liz was there because she wanted to take a walk and she needed to clear her head. She sat down on a park bench to take a break when she heard somebody walk up behind her. It was a woman demanding she get down on the ground or she'd shoot her. Liz did what the woman asked, but she shot her anyway. The woman took off running as Liz lay on the ground bleeding and in a lot of pain. She'd been shot in her thigh, but she could still walk, so she hobbled back to the parking lot to get her phone from her car to call 911. Was it a superficial leg wound? Time will tell. It's just okay. a flesh wound. Just a flesh wound. <laughs> Mere flesh wound. Was it a pistol by any chance that um, that she was mm-hmm. shot with? It was a pistol that mm-hmm. she was shot with. Mm-hmm. When the Consul Bluffs police arrived, they found Liz sitting in the parking lot with her back up against the car. One thing that was really interesting to me was that the park had two parking lots, and the one that Liz had chosen to park in was clearly visible from the Potts County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> but it was the town's police force that responded for this particular incident. Maybe somebody wanted Liz to be in plain sight of the investigators for some reason. 
Somebody. Somebody. At first, she told the officer that she didn't see or know who shot her, but a few minutes later, she had a moment of clarity. It was Amy Flora. She had heard her say something like, so you like fucking Dave, before she pulled the trigger. The park was big, but there weren't many ways out, so the police canvassed the park looking for their shooter. All they found were some homeless men asleep on the bench. Liz is like, it's so crazy. She was like, get down on your knees. I'm Amy Flora. Fuck you. <laughs> She's like, it was really bizarre. It was the <laughs> So the police, they they sent officers to Amy's apartment where Amy was relaxing with her iPad after having just put her son in bed. Amy opened the door to three officers, all pointing guns at her, (gasps) accusing her of shooting Liz, and she was absolutely terrified. Which, side note, I can't imagine opening my door and being met with that. I would definitely poop myself. (laughs) Did you not look through the peephole first? I don't know, man. (laughs) One of the officers remarked that Amy didn't look like she had just shot somebody. Like, of course she didn't. She was at home with her kid. Um, Another officer felt the hood of her car. It was ice cold. Mm, There was no way that she had recently driven it. Because remember, we're in December. Yeah. She ran. (laughs) She ran really fast. (laughs) Wow, you're in great shape. You're not even out of breath. (laughs) They searched Amy's apartment, and it was very clear to them that she was not responsible for what had happened to Liz. I'm glad to hear that they also came to that conclusion. Yes, me too. Pretty quickly. Yep. Also, you said that Liz didn't know that they were on to her because I feel like this series of actions are reflective of her realizing that they're sort of closing Mm. in. So she's trying to divert attention because this seems like it's all in a very close time span. Like they're closing in on her and then she's like, it's Amy and then goes for the jugular. My take on what was actually happening is that because Dave had been spending so much more time with Amy because she had, you know, this younger kid and she was a single parent again, she shared two kids with Dave. Dave moved closer to Amy. Mm. So Liz lived in Omaha. Dave was now in the same town as Amy. Okay. So I took this as Liz is just letting her jealousy Mm -hmm. run wild and she's not, she's not able to be as calculated as she previously was. I feel like she's coming undone. She's letting her freak flag fly she sure is i'm very impressed you said that correctly i have to do it slowly (laughs) meanwhile liz was in the hospital recovering from her injury doctors noted that the bullet went right through her thigh completely missing any bone or arteries how lucky for liz Mm, or was it all the fatty pieces just curious did that come from like an upward down angle you know like maybe from her right hand <laughs> side the trajectory yeah i'm i'm gonna go with something like that because mm-hmm. they were pretty confident that liz had shot herself yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like we have assessed the situation and we are fully aware yeah. of what is yeah. happening here <laughs> dave was informed that liz had been shot and once again out of pure guilt he went to visit her He said he had no interest in rekindling their relationship, but he couldn't be so cold as to not care at all. It seemed like this time, the stalker's efforts were not going to be enough to drive them back together. Enter Anthony Cava, the information technology supervisor for the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Department. I picture this man as entering the room in the way that wrestlers enter their matches (laughs) with dramatic theme music and over-the-top gestures. He's not actually like that. He's a modest, lovely man, but he's so critical to the outcome of this case Ooh. that I just picture him as being epic in my mind. Yes. I pictured The Rock. Yes, pretty much, <laughs> but he looks nothing like The Rock. Don't ruin the image in my okay, mind. Okay, we'll keep it that way. Okay. He also has his own website called forensic.coffee where he shares tips to stay safe online and he even talks about why hackers are actually good for the most part, like the good they can do in the world. Oh, love he's, that name. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Anyway, from the physical download of Liz's phone, Kava had more information than he 
could possibly have time to look through. He literally had to build an entire system to be able to parse through it all. He built a database from scratch and a bunch of code to input the data and analyze it. Like, super impressive. This guy is our MVP. Yeah. This new system allowed him to query to find correlations between accounts, IP addresses, and other details. That is so brilliant. It's brilliant. I wouldn't think, I mean. Brilliant. Wow. He called the system Dex, which was short for index, but also a nod to a show he really enjoyed, Dexter. Yes. Fitting. Very fitting. And even more fitting, a grim fact. Kava had no way of knowing this, but Liz also loved Dexter. In the 2007 season, there was a plot line involving Dexter and Lila, and it was pretty similar to Dave and Liz. They even had the same initials, so maybe that's why she went by Liz with Dave. I don't know. Funny how art mirrors reality, or maybe it means that Liz drew inspiration from her favorite TV show. Oh. Hmm. Hopefully not all the details, but Hopefully I, not I, all I guess them. we shall find out. Mm-hmm. When Liz got out of the hospital, Detective Doty had her come into the sheriff's office to speak with him. He tells Liz that it's still early, but they found some remains and they think they're Carrie's. Liz asks him why after shooting her, Amy isn't in jail. And Doty explains that Consul Bluff's PD are investigating the incident. He can't help her there because he's from Potts County. But if Amy really was so bold to shoot her, maybe she was bold enough to have murdered Carrie and Liz can actually help both of their cases here. He again tells her that if she's feeling up to it, it would be very helpful if she could get Amy to confess to the murder. Oddly enough, Amy sends a confession to Liz via email shortly after. <laughs> How convenient. How convenient. But oh. it was confessing to the shooting of Liz. Oh. That's not what Dodie needed. Dodie needed it to be about Carrie's murder. Mm-hmm. He again asked Liz to keep pressing Amy for more information because they needed something to tie her to Carrie. She's like, hang on. <laughs> yeah. Check your email. <laughs> and lo and behold, Amy sent Liz an email confessing to Carrie's murder. How's that conversation go? Yeah. Well, she told Liz to be grateful she didn't do her like that. In the email, Amy says that when she met Crazy Carrie, she was talking about Dave nonstop and how he was her husband now. She says Carrie attacked her, and so she stabbed her with a knife three to four times in the stomach. She says she took her out and burned her, and then stuffed her remains into the garbage can with her other crap. She was unknowingly carried to the dumpster by Dave when he took out her garbage. In late January, detectives showed up at Dave's work, and they dropped the bombshell on him. Liz had been the stalker the entire time. When Dave asked how Liz had possibly received the text messages at the same time as him, they shared that Liz had used apps to schedule text messages in advance. So she didn't have to be manually sending them herself. She set them in advance. Brilliant. Wow. Terrible, but brilliant. They didn't share all of the other details that they knew, only that Liz was responsible for Carrie's disappearance and was dangerous. They advised Dave to move in with Amy and help keep the kids safe. In reality, the authorities didn't need any help with this. They just knew that if they pushed Dave and Amy together, it would drive Liz insane. And they were right. Wow. They're, like, they're baiting her. They're baiting yeah. her. The, these guys deserve all the credit in the world. Yeah. They are phenomenal and incredibly impressive. Wow. They were monitoring this situation, were, though, right? To make sure that they yes, were, yes. D- Dave and Amy were safe They still? had people stationed there. They completely were in control of the situation. Okay. On February 1st, 2016, a very furious Liz called Dodie demanding to know why Amy hadn't been arrested yet. It wasn't fair that Amy got to kill Carrie, shoot her, and she still got the guy. She knew that Dave had moved in with Amy and she was just beside herself. Dodie calmly told her they still needed more to build their case. This would be one where there was no body and those are often really difficult to try. No body, no crime. No body, no crime. Eh, eh, eh. (laughs) I wish you guys could see that she's actually rocking out. She's like crumping at the table. <laughs> was that one of the pause for singing? It was, okay. yes. It literally says pause for Marina to sing. <laughs> I nailed them both. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. 
And for that, I will send you home with the cookies that you brought to me as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hearing this, Liz decided that perhaps the detectives would be more impressed if they stumbled on the confessions themselves. So she gave them the password to her email account. Liz, the master manipulator, had finally met her match in Detective Doty. Liz was his puppet, and she was doing exactly as he wanted. Within hours of getting access to her email account, more confessions from Amy came rolling in. One line from the email read, I really did kill Carrie, and I did it in her own car. And to prove that she had killed Carrie, she shared that she knew that Carrie had a yin-yang tattoo on her thigh. While the missing persons flyers said that Carrie had tattoos, it didn't mention any specifics. Carrie did, in fact, have this tattoo. There were no photos of it, but investigators concluded that because of where it was located on her body, only somebody that had been in very close contact with Carrie would know about it. Liz was smart up to this point. She was smart up to a point. Yeah. Despite having searched the car two times prior, they had never before treated it like a crime scene. With the new confession from Amy, they wanted to approach it differently. <laughs> Carrie's family had sold the SUV, but fortunately the new owners were more than happy to court to cooperate with the police. This time when they searched the vehicle, they removed the cover from the passenger seat. There was a huge red stain and tests confirmed that it was blood. Using some strands of hair that were still in an old brush that Nancy had found, police were able to confirm it was Carrie's. Mm. Mm -mm. On February 25th, officials were granted search warrants for Liz's apartment and they hit the jackpot. They found a number of cell phones and two items that belonged to Carrie, her camera and her camcorder. They knew the camera was Carrie's because when police had searched her house, they had found the box mm. and they had documented their search so well that they had a picture of the box from Carrie's house. Wow. Oh, wow. Even though Liz had deleted everything from the devices, Kava was able to retrieve a video. Yes. In April of 2012, Carrie had recorded a video on the camcorder and now Kava had retrieved that. So he was able to prove it was in fact Carrie's device. One of those cell phones was the one that had been used to call Carrie's mom, Nancy, on April 17th, 2013 for the homeless shelter hoax. The call truly had not come from Dave. Liz had used a voice changer and called Nancy herself. Mm. Psycho. There was one other thing that helped the detectives. Garrett, Liz's other boyfriend, was employed by the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Department. <gasps> he actually worked for Anthony Cava. Garrett was fully cooperative with authorities <sighs> because he had nothing to hide. Of all the guys she could have chosen to use and abuse, she picked the wrong, or maybe the best, possible one. She was on his Wi-Fi often, and she'd use his computer completely unaware that it was almost always connected to the VPN for the sheriff's office computer system. See, I thought that was going to go exactly the opposite direction. I thought she was going to take advantage of it to learn things nope. about the investigation or something. Oh, I love it. Nope. Love it. The police now had a mounting pile of evidence against Liz. They knew that Carrie had been murdered in her SUV. They could place Liz in the vehicle with the fingerprints, and they knew Liz was the stalker behind all the emails and text messages containing the incriminating details. Omaha police arrested Liz for some minor traffic offense, and to her surprise, they didn't want to talk about her traffic violations. They wanted to talk about Carrie. They wanted to know why Carrie's phone was at Liz's house the day she died. Why did Liz have deleted photos of Carrie's car on her phone? Why were Liz's fingerprints found on the mint tin in Carrie's car? And why did some of the emails come from her IP address? Clearly backed into a corner, you'd think that Liz would come clean. But nope, she doubled down. She denied her involvement, and instead of trying to make any excuses or explain anything, she just lawyered up. Okay, well, Amy set her up. Uh, yeah, right. Definitely. Well, at least that was a smart move. That's probably we don't the smartest thing yeah, she's done. We yeah. don't often see that in grim mm -hmm. cases, but that one, that was a good move. In March, detectives received detailed copies of Carrie's bank records. Remember that debit card transaction from Walmart? Well, they were able to find the details of what was in that order. Someone had purchased cleaning supplies. 
a shower curtain, and winter clothing. One, remember, Liz owns a house cleaning business. And two, that same shower curtain can be seen in multiple of Liz's pictures. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But still, not having a body, a murder weapon, a single witness, or really any proof that a murder had even occurred, getting Liz convicted of Carrie's murder was going to be a pretty difficult task. This is a lot of circumstantial evidence they've got here. Mm -hmm. By December, they had gathered enough digital evidence to feel pretty confident that they could get a conviction. And on December 22nd, more than four years later, Liz was finally arrested for Carrie's murder. Wow. On Wednesday, January 18th, 2017, a preliminary hearing was held where Judge McDermott ruled that Liz would go to trial on the first-degree murder charge. Eight days later, when she was arraigned, Liz waived her right to a jury trial. Instead, a judge would hear her case and decide her fate, and this was something that her lawyer had advised her to do because he thought it was going to be much easier to convince a judge, who he felt could remain more impartial, um, Mm. than a jury. Because Liz had done some pretty messed up stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could get by on like technical yes. stuff or something like that that a jury might not understand. I think they had more faith that a judge would be able to like keep his emotions mm-hmm. out of this. Mm-hmm. The trial was set to start on May 10th, 2017, less than four months from the arraignment. Usually there's more time before the trial date and the prosecution was really hoping that would be the case so they could continue to gather evidence against Liz. The defense, however, was thrilled because it didn't leave the prosecution enough time to find a body or other evidence or anything that would be damning to Liz. Or so they thought. Kava and Avis were 100% dedicated to trial prep. Like, hats off to all the investigators Mm. who were involved. I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but you guys are about to be blown away by this grim fact. I believe for Detective Doty, this was his first homicide, and it may have been the first case, period, for Detective Avis. Oh, wow. These guys are like superstars. Wow. Also, it warms my heart because I see the two of them with uh, Kava in a lot of places. Like, they advocate advocate for Carrie and for a lot of other victims, and they're just like, they're the cutest thing. I'm obsessed with them. I love it. That may be a good thing that it was their first one because they're not jaded they're gung-ho yes they are like we are justice yeah we can give people justice yes i love it i have a a very grim fact for you but don't worry it's gonna work out okay so i just have to put that disclaimer there uh kava actually had a brain tumor at this time and he was delaying getting treatment on it because he was adamant that he was not going to put this case at risk so he was putting his own personal health on the line to be able to make sure that they got a conviction here wow but don't worry guys he's okay he's alive and well Good. On February 1st, 2017, Kava had a thought. He thought to ask Dave if he had anything else of Liz's or anything else she might have used. Dave wasn't certain, but he took a look and sure enough, still in his storage unit from when he moved out of his apartment in Omaha was a tablet of his that Liz had used. Liz had put her SD card in the tablet. There were a ton of photos of her on there. A bunch of selfies, some with her and the kids, some of her and Dave, a bunch of nudes, but there was one very odd photo in the bunch. A photo of a tattoo on a woman's foot. (gasps) Police emailed Nancy to ask if Carrie had any foot tattoos, and sure enough, she sent back a photo of one Carrie had, and it matched the photo on Liz's SD card. Something about the foot didn't look right. Oh, Oh, no. So they had an expert take a look at it, and a forensic pathologist confirmed that the foot was in a state of decay. Liz had snapped the photo as a gruesome souvenir. Carrie had four tattoos in total, and two of the four were visible in the photos from Liz's SD card. The second was that yin-yang tattoo on her thigh. Dude. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's very fucked up. My last grim fact for our episode is the tattoo on Carrie's foot was the Chinese symbol for the word mother. 
Carrie had loved being a mom and she loved her mom. So I think it's incredibly poetic oh. that the thing that ultimately helped catch her killer was the thing that she loved most in the world. When the trial started, Detective Avis was asked to sit in the courtroom the entire time. There was just such an overwhelming amount of evidence that the prosecution needed to have someone who was an expert available for support. Mm -hmm. By now, you guys are not ready for this, there were more than 20,000 messages in total. So I can see why having Avis there was very helpful. Uh Uh-huh. That's a a few. It's a a couple. It's It's more than two tree. It's more than one. (laughs) It, It is. In addition to the murder charge, Liz was now facing a second charge. Second degree arson for her home. Liz's attorney was very smart to suggest that she forgo a jury trial. They would have eaten her alive. I can't picture how people could have any sympathy or remain impartial for this crazy woman who made everyone's life miserable, killed Carrie and her four pets, and continued to taunt Carrie's family for years. So did she she burn Carrie? Because you said Carrie was burnt and then her ashes were in the trash that Dave took out. So did did Liz burn Carrie in the house? She was not in the house. So Liz actually set fire to her house about nine months after she murdered Carrie. She killed her own pets. She killed her own pets. Yeah, this woman is heartless. Um, But with Carrie, what Liz had said when she wrote the confession email from Amy, she said she had stabbed her and then burned her and Dave took out her ashes with the trash. Right, okay. So when I had read that, um, Carrie had wanted to be a surgical nurse and she couldn't stand the smell of burning flesh. Like, was it Ugh. maybe some kind of a bizarre omen kind oh, of a thing or yeah. whatever? I'm giving myself goosebumps I talking know. about that. Mm. Um, but it, I just thought it was weird that that was ultimately how she met her demise. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. What, do they know, like, what, did they look for the bones at all? Because when you burn, like the ashes that you get in an urn, those are the ground up bones. Including some of the burnt ashes, but like bones don't burn. They never found Carrie's remains. I mm. think I think what Liz said as Amy was what actually happened. Yeah. I think Dave took her remains out when he brought the trash to the dumpster. And I think unfortunately Carrie is in some landfill or something yeah. somewhere. Like I don't think she's ever going to be found. Wow. Ugh. The state had 32 witnesses and the defense had zero. One by one, they all testified. Firefighters who responded to the house fire, arson investigators who assessed the scene, detectives from the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office, Special Deputy Kava, Carrie's mother, Dave, everybody. After hearing all of the arguments, on May 24th, the judge delivered his verdict. Carrie Farver did not voluntarily disappear off the face of the earth. Very sadly, she was murdered. The court finds beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant intentionally killed Carrie Farver with a deliberate and premeditated malice. Justice had finally been served. Both Carrie and Amy's names had been cleared, and Liz was finally going to pay for her crimes. The judge also found Liz guilty of setting fire to her own home on August 16, 2013. She was sentenced to life in prison for Carrie's murder and 18 to 20 years for the arson charge. She's currently living out her days in a Nebraska Correctional Center for Women in York, Nebraska. Do you get any additional charges for killing your pets? Because you should. You should. I really think you should. I'm, st- I'm no. like really. St- I'm obviously you actually can cruelty yeah, to that's animals, what I thought, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess they were kind of like we kind of got everything in there that we needed yeah. to. But and I'm obviously also very sad about Carrie. That is terrible. I'm just also yes. very sad about the pets. The um, the other thing that was heartbreaking is Garrett had said he bought those dogs for Liz, oh. and Aww. he lo- he loved those oh. animals. He was devastated. He was kind of like, if she didn't want them, like she should have just left oh. them with me yes. at my house when she did this. God, but that would have been extra suspicious if yeah. she was like, can you just watch all four of my pets? And <laughs> oh then my god, my house burned down. <laughs> down. Yeah, I actually wonder if that's part of why 
she let them die so is to make it seem up. like how because how could God you awful. possibly do that right ugh, ugh, i can't think about open that. the back door yeah. let them have a chance to run oh, out i can't think about it i can't think about it we gotta move on okay to this day liz still denies any wrongdoing and she claims she did not kill carrie bullshit in 2019, the Carrie Farver Memorial Scholarship was established to help keep Carrie's memory alive and also to honor her passion for helping others. The scholarship is awarded annually to a student attending Iowa Western Community College in pursuit of a career in information technology. If you'd like to learn more about the scholarship, you can visit farverscholarship.org. And that's Farver, F-A-R-V-E-R. Dave Fava. Not Fava. <laughs> Not to be confused. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of um, Super Troopers. Oh. I'll take a large Farva. Yeah. What's that place with the crazy shit on the walls? Shenanigans. <laughs> the schnozberries. Tastes like schnozberries. Okay. Dave Krupa plans to participate in every TV program and interview that Nancy chooses to participate in. Aww. He's still overwhelmed with guilt about what happened Aww. to Carrie. Even though Nancy says she doesn't blame Dave or have any ill will towards him, he still feels that telling the story is the least he can do for Carrie and her family. Nancy hopes that someday Dave will stop blaming himself because that's not what Carrie would want for him. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, how could you ever know? How could you how ever could you know? think that this was the outcome right. of it? It you was know? insane. So, yeah. Right. I laid it out for you guys in a way that you could figure it out. But you have to think that this was happening yeah. across multiple states for multiple years. Like it took a long time yeah. for people to be able to put this together. And I honestly don't think it would have been possible without Kava and his deck system that he Absolutely. built. Absolutely. Right. Wow. And you would never think if you're sitting with her and you're never. both getting text messages. Right. Why yep. would you ever suspect that it's her? No, she she must have been a great actress. Like mm-hmm. she definitely played up like the fear. I think I said this in maybe our last episode, but I, I'm getting visions of a texting people and pretty yes. little liars and yep. all of their faces. That that's how I imagine that Liz was acting every time she got a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to do that bonus episode because <laughs> I want to know what her dark okay. history is. Mm-hmm. I can do that for us. At the time the book was written, the um, A Tangled Web, mm-hmm. Max was pursuing a degree in data science, following in his oh. mother's footsteps. He missed out on so many memories he could have made with his mom, but he knows that she would be proud of the man that he's become. God. Nancy and her family still keep in touch with Avis, Dodie, and Kava, and while nothing will bring Carrie back, they take comfort in knowing that Carrie's killer is behind bars and she's unable to hurt anyone else's loved ones ever again. Yeah. Ugh. Twisted. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Poor Max. I mean, poor everyone. Poor everybody, but but really poor Max. Like, I I think the thing that stuck with me the most was how much Liz tormented Nancy and Max. Because again, like, I left details out, believe it or not. Like, she talked to them a good amount and she always tried to work angles that they would believe her that she was actually Carrie. But I think that her mom, like... Her mom was very, she's a very strong woman to be able to go through all of this Mm -hmm. and like still have it together. But I think she knew in her heart the entire time that like this was not her daughter. And I'm just so happy that somebody, Avis and Dodie, finally believed her and they actually took this approach Mm -hmm. to the case because this could still be unsolved today if not for these guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all that, I mean, all that time, even if you said that was all on the clock time, but all the the time it was Kava, right? That did the um the like five hundred. Avis did the extra five hundred, but Kava put in a ton of extra time too. I just can't. This is probably not quantifiable. Right. It's just that's such dedication and and like you said, to actually be able to have closure and and justice is hard to say that it's justice because yeah, you know, it's still terrible. But well, (laughs) if you are loving (laughs) Grim. Please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts, it would seriously mean the world to us if you could leave us a review, um, a written review, please, guys, pretty please. You make our days. 
Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for case photos and to stay current on the latest episodes. Want to send us case suggestions or just say hey, send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Last but certainly not least, if you are so inclined, check us out on Patreon. You can find us by searching Grim colon a true crime podcast. We hope you listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim. <laughs> <laughs>